Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. And today we have a special guest who is actually my first mentor in the world of strength and conditioning. Ben Prentice is founder of Prentice Hockey Performance, and he's widely regarded as one of the world's best, if not the best, hockey strength and conditioning coach. I first met Ben over 20 years ago when he gave me my first job in the fitness industry coming out of university. I had had some experience with athletic training at UMB with our hockey team who had won nationals, but nothing close to what he was doing in New York. Outside we go. He had just started a new private training facility just outside the city in Connecticut. At the time, Ben was just getting into training elite athletes, but since then he's gone on to become the premier trainer for professional hockey players. Ben himself was mentored by Canadian strength coaching legend Charles Poliquin, who introduced him to training pro hockey players. Ever since that first experience, he never looked back and has since refined his own philosophy, which has helped shape the careers of hundreds of NHL players. He's trained Hall of Famers, MVPs, Stanley Cup winners, Conn Smythe Trophy and Hart Trophy winners, and the list goes on. To date, Ben has trained hockey players from all 30 NHL teams and is now the strength and conditioning consultant for the New York Rangers. Well, Ben joined me from his home in Connecticut to talk about his experiences training pros for the last 20 years, some things athletes and coaches should know, and to provide some do's and don'ts for aspiring hockey players. It was great to learn about all the amazing things he's done since I last saw him. So let's check it out. Welcome to the show, Ben. It's great to see you. Great to see you again. I appreciate it. All right. So can you give me a bit of a background on what your evolution was? How did you become the guru for hockey training? You know, like most things, it sort of started as one thing and kind of morphed into another. So you know, when, when in 1999-2000, I opened up body tuning in a gas station, you know, the idea was there was no sports performance places. The model didn't exist. You know, I was coming out of university where I was training people out of World Gym and, and in their homes. And, you know, this was a, more of a bodybuilding time in uh, the, the 90s and you know, me being an athlete and me being interested in sports and hooking on to Charles Poliquin sort of as my early mentor when I was in college, you know, following his stuff, um, that was my main influence. And, and as time went on, I took people's uh, ideologies and made my own and made my own philosophy and made my own system. So one by one got high school athlete and when I went to start working for Charles uh, in the summertime, training NFL and NHL guys, that kind of opened my eyes to the world of training athletes. That was in like uh, 2002, and then I did that for a few few years. Then, as I came back, I started getting one guy after another, and and you know, the, again, there was no social media. The only way you got athletes is by results, and it wasn't about advertising or that stuff it was just about producing mm -hmm. so you know we produced whatever that means right I mean team hockey is a team sport so you know you have it's, it's how you quantify it but yeah so that's kind of how it manifests itself into one guy and another and then teams came and then you know I started with what four coaches and yeah. you were there kind of in the beginning sort of at the end of it I mean it was just we we, we would do 
you know, like 340 sessions, 500 sessions a week wow. in that place with like 13 trainers. It was just guys. Were just, we rented a pod and put the pod outside and we had turf outside and, you know, it was just, uh, so it was time to move. And now this is our fifth year and, uh, we're in a twin rink, uh, where we have 12,000 square feet. We have, you know, timing gates, force plates, 1080 technology, um, on ice, off ice. We have soft tissue practitioners, um, you know, you name it, we have it. So it's, it's ran the spectrum in the course of 21 years, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, like you said, it wasn't existing beforehand. And you came from a background, uh, you spent some time in California as a kid next to like the classic Venice Beach, right? Right. Yeah, well, that's sort of, you know, that goes way back in that, you know, my father was a power lifter. um, So when I was two years old, he he basically took my mother and I across country um, to train at Venice Beach at, at Gold's Gym. And, you know, at the time, Gold's Gym wasn't just for bodybuilders uh this is you know 1974 um it was for everybody so you know whether it's true or not my dad likes to tell stories about me him bringing me in a crib and putting me in a corner and arnold would come over and and, uh you know make googly faces at me and that kind of thing and (laughs) you know dave draper was arnold's training partner at the time the blonde bomber and you know my father uh, you know, I have uh, pictures of Dave Draper in my office made out to me. He, he, him and my father were friendly. And so I, I don't know how long we were there, but, you know, he trained there for probably three or four years. Um, so, yeah, you could say it was in my blood and, you know, then becoming an athlete and then sort of coming full circle um, to, to the training. Yeah, right. And so you migrated into hockey. Who are some of the athletes that you're training now? Because you train a lot of different people. Yeah, so going to Spectrum, you know, my first NHL athlete that was, you know, on my own, meaning I was responsible for that I didn't train through Charles, was Jason Arnott, uh, you know, who who won a Stanley Cup um, early on and uh, had a great 16, seven, I think 16 years. Um, he's from Wasaga Beach in Toronto. And uh, he was my very first. And then actually locally, Ryan Shannon, who actually, crazy enough, lived in my hometown, uh, the hometown of my gym, and went on to win a Stanley Cup for the Anaheim Ducks, and, you know, had a good NHL career with the Tampa Bay Lightning and uh, Ottawa Senators, and then it went on to, obviously, my the biggest names of Marty St. Louis, who, you know, I was fortunate enough to, he, he trusted me in his career, and, you know, I say all the time, you know, he would have had a Hall of Fame career whether or not he met me. Um, but, you know, I was lucky to be a part of that. And I went to the Hall of Fame speech where he, you know, gave me a little shout out. And... To present Marty St. Louis' plaque from the Hall of Fame class of 2017, Dave Andrichuk. I believe it is important to surround yourself with good people. My agent, Louis Gross, my trainer, Ben Prentice. Bill Wickett, who works for the Lightning, thank you for everything. Thank you for everything through the years. And I still train Marty to this day. And then moving on, obviously, I still train Max Pacioretty. This is 11 years with him, going through the Masterton Trophy, where, you know, obviously he broke his neck and went through all that. And then, and now currently, you know, I, I'm a, I work for the New York Rangers as a strength and conditioning consultant. That's kind of a thing where, I'm not really allowed to talk about it other than, 
um, you know, I train their, their prospects. So every summer I get 10 to 12 prospects that I, I train for them. So they have that. And then independently on the Rangers, I have Chris Kreider, Brendan Smith, Brett Howden, Mika Zibanejad comes for about a month when it comes from Sweden, Pedal, Hychek, uh, Shostorkin, they kind of come in for about a month before we go. And then right now I've, I, I've, I'm very close with Kreider, obviously. So I've trained him for many years. He's here now, you know, other prospects that uh, again, I have to be hush about, but uh, John Hayden from the New Jersey Devils, who's with me. Trevor Zegris, who's a first-rounder for the Anaheim Ducks, he's here now. Uh, Sonny Milano, who's with the Anaheim Ducks, is with us right now. Adam Fox with the Rangers is with us. I'm probably forgetting a few that are currently with us, but, you know, uh, Patrick Harper, who uh, is signed with Nashville, he's here with us. So, you know, that's a few of the guys that we have currently. Wow. So that's, you know, that's a pretty impressive roster there. And, you know, the, a lot of those people have accomplished some amazing things like Marty St. Louis was MVP. When you take these athletes, I know that you have a different approach towards how you work with them. You don't give them a quote unquote hockey program. You know, how do you, how do you approach these different athletes when you're working with them? Yeah. You know, you, you, you hate to say the word or the phrase, it depends, or, you know, it's, it's specific, but it really is. And, and the, for that reason, you know, the model that I started 21 years ago, we still use today in that we only train guys two per one coach at the most, you know, you learn different things, obviously, and you try different things and you see what works. And now with force plates and with the 1080 and, with our uh, body fat system, we're able to really quantify weekly if guys are getting better. And what young people have to understand in the strength and conditioning is you can't freak out and expect them to be on a trajectory because if, say, they're on a, I'll explain later kind of about my system, but, you know, in general, depending on what block they're on, they might go down in their sprint and, or if they're skating more or they might go down in their vertical jump, which, you know, a young person would freak out and think, okay, they're not getting better or they're fatiguing. But the fact of the matter is that's going to happen in peaks and valleys, depending on your block. If, if they're just going straight up, then you're probably not training them the right way. With, within each cycle, we're measuring and testing. So each week we have a, a data guy that, that puts out for our staff a weekly report and on that report we'll have vertical jump we'll have an rsi we'll have a broad jump and we'll have a 10 10 yard or 10 meter depending on where you're coming from sprint <laughs> yeah. and those are the th things that we look at weekly mm -hmm. and then monthly we'll look at body fat on ice uh, sprint change of direction as we start to get further on into their training mm -hmm. those are things that 20 years ago you know regardless of what you're reading you don't know these things uh, until you really experience them and are able to kind of quantify them. We're here with Ben Prentice, NHL strength and conditioning coach. When we come back, he'll walk us through how he trains his athletes as we spend today's episode diving into the world of sport performance. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We're here with Ben Prentice, NHL strength coach. 
In this segment, I asked him about establishing a baseline for his athletes and some of the fundamentals he preaches, including sleep and diet. We also clear up some common misconceptions around aerobic training and working out until failure. These are things that all young hockey players should hear if they want to improve their performance. Let's check it out. Oh, I think that everybody thinks that these hockey players are super athletes and that, you know, they're living perfectly. But the role of somebody like you, you can make a significant difference because a lot of the time they might not have any background in this and they really need that guidance. What are some of the things that, that you help coach them on when it comes to you know, yeah, well, we try to, you know, when somebody is sort of all in with us, you know, that's when we feel most comfortable in getting the results. And when we say all in, what we mean is it's not just, you know, five or six hours of, of training a week. It's how you're sleeping, which we call sleep hygiene. It's how you're recovering. It's how you're eating. It's how you're managing stress. You know, all of those things will put you into position. So if a guy's not losing body fat and he says he's eating right, well, then we look at his sleep and, you know, how, how his cortisol is or how he's recovering and how his ad adrenal fatigue, you know. Uh, luckily, we have a, a nutritionist on staff that's able to test those things if need be. Food sensitivity, adrenal, cortisol, full blood panels, those things. I mean, most of the time that's not needed. You can usually do it by just fixing a diet, but in some cases, you know, we go to that, but you know, young kids who want to talk about taking pre-workout or, uh, you know, what's the supplement to get me you know, I stop them right there. And, you know, the best supplement is for those guys is 10 hours of sleep and un uninterrupted sleep. And, you know, if you're a 14 to 18 year old kid, you want to recover and you want to get stronger in the gym, get good night's sleep. And that alone with, you know, water and food will typically do it. I mean, that sounds very simple, but your average high school kid is, is not eating breakfast, is not drinking water, is not eating correctly, is looking at their iPad, which blue light, as we know, is affecting their sleep. And, you know, so all of these things, that's kind of what we say all in is, we, you know, for the lack of being hokey is we incorporate a lifestyle mm -hmm. with everything. So it's, we'll tell you how to eat. We'll tell you how to stretch. We'll tell you how to train and we'll tell you how to recover. That's awesome. And I know these athletes are also coming in at various stages too, right? So you got people that are young in their career, but you deal with a lot of athletes that are coming in off of grueling seasons. Yeah. So, so again, that's sort yeah. of what, what, what goes down to, to each training. So we might have two people train together that are on different programs because you, they, you know, one guy's three months in and he, like, for instance, the Tampa Bay lightning, you know, we'll have a guy, you know, we have guys on that team where, you know, they're not going to train for a couple weeks here, but when they start training, they're obviously not training with somebody that didn't even go into the bubble who's been training for six months. So you know, you have to take all those things into where you're starting and, and you can't ever speed up the process. You know, guys will be like, Hey, I'm going on vacation. Let's do four, four, four in a row this week. And, you know, no, you know, you have to have those days off in between training and no, you can't speed up the process. So yeah, we, it, it's specific. And, you know, we're looking at what aerobic work we're going to do. Well, most aerobic work typically is only done in the beginning. You know, hockey is not an aerobic sport, but as we know, a little bit of aerobic work will help for recovery, 
uh, and it will help them sort of interest sets and it'll help them down the road into moving on to anaerobic, alactic work, which we'll move on to. So, you know, those energy systems change as mm -hmm. the phases change. So, yeah, it, it all it is super specific. No, that's, that's great. And we're going to, I'd like to talk a little bit about how you approach these athletes after this, but just for the people who are listening, you know, like a lot of people feel that, uh, that because hockey players are working hard and they're sweating and their heart is beating, that it must be aerobic in nature, but it's not because shifts are, you know, less a minute or less. And so, you know, the way that people train has to be specific. You go get really good at running a marathon. That's not going to translate at all. No, well, no, not only that, but you know, long distance aerobic work could affect your immune system. So yeah, and the you know the problem is coaches, GMs, whatever, athletic directors don't know, and they just are stuck on hey, so and so is is slow in the third period, you know he needs to to run more. Well, you know that's the worst thing you can do, and that makes them even slower. And you know even though you know uh, we know because this is what we do every day you know, trying to convince a coach still to this day is very difficult. So for your listeners, what that really is, is like an 800. Now we wouldn't have them run an 800, but meaning 800 is sort of that energy system that is the closest thing between anaerobic and aerobic, right? So that's where we like our sled work to kind of be in that sweet spot of that, that energy system and that sort of keeps them out of being lactic until the later in the summer when we want to get closer mm -hmm. you want to get away from the more specific things they do so that's why you know when, when people that are not you know trained in training hockey players think oh let's put them on a slide board because that's just like hockey mm -hmm. well er, that's you know <laughs> too specific to what they already do yeah. so why overuse that pattern so if we were to even use that sort of motion, that would be way early in the summer when they're not doing it. And right. then when they get closer to the specific skills of their sport, you then get away from those in the gym and help them on things that they're not doing. Build the stereo, then put the CD in after, right? right. Make yeah. the speakers bigger, make the wires better. This is all stuff that I learned from you when I was 20 years old, I'll tell you. <laughs> And so let's talk a little bit about how you progress people because the progression, the peaking, all these things are so critically important because at each phase when you're training people, you're trying to accomplish something different. And like you said, sometimes their performance may drop in certain areas. So walk me through if it just so happened I was actually a good hockey player and I, <laughs> uh, what would happen if I came in and it said, okay, Ben, I need to, I need to get better at hockey. You know, obviously the first thing we do with everybody is a full assessment and the assessment is not just performance, it's more limb to limb, uh, joint by joint. And we're looking at the, you know, obviously the hips are the big thing with hockey, but then, you know, shoulders are, and the shoulder and the hip are a lot the same. So, you know, we're looking at hockey, the internal rotation of the hip is very poor. And then on the shoulders from getting hit all the time, we're seeing really bad shoulder mobility and really bad wrists as well. I mean, very few hockey players can do Olympic lifting just for the fact that not only are they poor in their technique, but it's because of the fact that Muslim can't even, you know, this is what I deal with all day, every day for 20 years. And I'm telling you 90% from kids on up can't do a front rack position because they can't have, they have no mobility in their wrists. Their shoulders are messed up. 
their ankles, you know, the, the ankle and foot because of the skate, there's no dorsiflexion. So these are typically the areas that, that we have to really work on. So literally from the ground up, then we test on ice, off ice, different performance. So we look more at structural stuff and then move on to, you know, our KPIs, what we deem for upper body, lower body. Once that's done, obviously they, they're now on a program. Hockey players have the mentality of just, you know, go for bore, throw up. That was a good workout. I didn't throw up. It wasn't a good workout. I want to run stairs. I want to, you know, shoot whatever, 200 pucks. I want to sweat during the workout. And, you know, what people, as I've gotten older and older and really fine-tuned workouts, and as athletes get older, I think one of the keys is to actually do less and, and really focus on changing the intensity. And so one thing we've scaled in, you know, we still have the same exercise template that you back 20 years ago, but, you know, we've scaled it where we now have on it power, velocity to keep track of those. But we also have RPI now, which uh, rate of perceived, sorry, RPE, rate of perceived yeah. exertion. Right. And so we'll put on there, you know, and it, you know, for, so for your listeners, what that means is roughly really quick, you know, if I say seven, that means I want you to have three reps in the tank, but still it's based on our tempo. Well, and there shouldn't be a thing in everybody's workout, at least in my world, if in performance as a finisher, you know, you don't have to, you know, one thing that people need to take away and, and I'm telling you, no matter how much you tell them, they just can't. It's like, you will be better off stronger and faster, not crushing yourself every single workout. Mm -hmm. And why, you know, adrenal fatigue and increasing cortisol is a big, big problem, especially now with stress of jobs and, and the world and lack of sleep. And to just then go on top of that and just crush yourself in a workout, you know, doesn't make sense. But, you know, strength coaches are fighting for, for getting athletes and they feel like, you know, putting somebody on the prowler till they puke or breathe, whatever the case may be, is the answer. Now, yes, there's a time and a place for that. And there's a time and a place for training to failure. But you need to have the concept of overall controlling your RPE and the intensity of your workouts. And we're able to then, you know, keep track of everything. And really, it's not simple, but we've simplified it to the point where we really understand it really well, because it's all put into a nice package. We're talking hockey training with Ben Prentice, the go-to strength coach for NHL hockey players. We'll be right back after this break. Let's continue our chat with Ben Prentice, founder of Prentice Hockey Performance and strength and conditioning consultant for the New York Rangers. In this segment, we talk about what athletes really need and that many don't make it to the intensity of training we see in the commercials. Ben also talks about the widely misused training tool called plyometrics, which involves jumping and hopping that uses the body's stretch reflex of our muscles to propel the athlete and develop power. He talks about the best ways to use these exercises, why grip training is the cherry on top but not the most important thing for hockey, and the benefits of complex movements. There's lots to talk about, so let's get to it. 
Well, if we use like an analogy of building a car, it sounds like your first phase is to make sure the frame and all the parts are there in working order. And then you start working on the engine and all the performance pieces after that. So like what comes after you've sort of, you've taken this person, you put them in a structure, they're able to move their body appropriately. What comes next? Okay, so get, then, you know, unfortunately people don't want to hear this as well, but some people, some athletes don't get to the Gatorade commercial exercises because, you know, they're too weak to. With that being said, certain people for three months won't train plyometrics. And that doesn't mean they're not getting faster. They're going to get faster by getting stronger because they're too weak to train for speed. And that's mm -hmm. okay. And uh, that, you know, that's not a, <laughs> they feel like they're being, get, being treated a disservice. But, you know, the fact of the matter is if you give a kid who can't squat his body weight, you know, plyos, you're wasting his time and you're doing him a disservice. So, you know, in theory, you come in and we'll work on unilateral work and, and we'll train small muscles and we'll do, you know, our isometric work and you'll do some aerobic uh, work for recovery, which is barefoot work, which we're looking at your heart rate not getting too high. So we're not putting you in more where we're making sure that there is recovery there. And then it'll phase out where then they're going to get into more sled sprinting where we're changing the load of the sled and then they'll get into plyometrics. And so slow work gets taken out and higher velocity um, stuff gets put in with lower force. Mm -hmm. We're fortunate enough to have a 1080, which is, um, you know, uh, for the lack of a better expression for all of your people out there, it's a robotic uh, system that allows us to, with an iPad at the touch of a button, eccentrically overload. We can go into pure isokinetic, which other than university type machines, you can't do so for your listeners out there. What that means is I can put, put any exercise at 0.2 millimeters per speed. And that means for your listeners, no matter how strong you are, that bar is only moving at 0.2. Mm -hmm. And what that does is that's the only way to produce force. And that is a super, super efficient way to get really strong. Yeah. And you need less reps, you need lots of rest, but it's also something you can do in season because it doesn't cause a lot of damage. So you're yeah. looking at two reps and your listeners are going to be like, well, that sounds ridiculous. That's easy. Well, if anybody's ever tried to do a split squat or a squat at 0 0.2 or 0 0.1 millimeters per second, you feel like your spleen's going to come out. And that set, <laughs> sorry, that one rep will take you like, you know, 10 seconds. Yeah, right. Right. And I think that this, you've already said some things that are really key. You've debunked some of the typical, you know, these are the exercises like the bench press and all those things you don't need to have. And that no matter what, every four weeks you change depend just because the program says to change, which I think is massive. You talk about different types of contraction. So using exercises in different ways to elicit different responses and then tweaking that as they start to adapt and they go forward. And also right. about talking about things at different speeds, because I think that, you know, there is still that old school philosophy towards things that they're going to do all these lunges sideways and we're going to do some twists and then we're going to work on our wrist grip to make sure that we can right. do things. That's, That's another it. one that just drives me crazy is that, you know, look, grip training is important for life. Like our parents should train grip. I mean, if you have a dimominator, you know, we use that for measuring fatigue. It's a great way to measure unilateral grip strength for in-season fatigue. We've used that with our teams that we, that I've had, but 
specific training for grip is good. Why? Because it's obviously recruiting a lot of motor units and we're getting strong and it's a good neural exercise. But for hockey specifically, you don't need a grip crushing grip. You actually need more work with um, radiation and deviation and supination and pronation and strengthen the forearms rather than pure grip. So, you know, again, that's a the misconception to sort of how, obviously we use thick grip things because we want our athletes to be strong anyway. But the point is more to train sort of the forearm and the mobility and strength of the wrist rather than pure grip strength. But again, you have to look at your training economy and who you have. So, it, right. you know, a weak 14, 15 year old, don't waste your training economy on grip strength. You know, you have right. to stay with compound movements that'll sort of cover those things. And then, you know, I like to call that sort of the cherry on the top in terms of when they've gotten, you know, obviously they can get stronger by just doing chin-ups with thicker grips and, and, and doing those things. So. No, that's, that's, that's critically important to understand some of those things. A couple of things I wouldn't mind chatting about too, would be uh, you, you quickly talked on plyometrics and I think that, you know, plyometrics are kind of a exercise that people think are cool and, right. and they're, they're doing them. Uh, maybe explain like how you could actually fatigue the nervous system by doing too much. You talked about ground contacts and doing 200. Like why is that not helpful for people? Sure. So, you know, the whole, I, in lame, I'll try to go in layman's terms. Sure. It, it, it is, the whole point of plyometrics is to increase the stretch reflex. So if you're thinking about a depth jump, which is probably the most advanced plyometric, you're starting off with, say, a six-inch box only. Our, our rule for depth jump is you have to jump as high as the box you're jumping off of to then move up. So what a depth jump is, is you're kind of falling off the box, and when you're touching... You want to get off of the ground as quick as you possibly can. So a general rule of thumb is, you know, your heels shouldn't touch the ground in most plyometric exercises. Mm -hmm. And what that is, is the stretch reflex. And then you're looking for in like in most exercises is sort of triple extension of the, the ankle, the knee and the hip. Um, right. And why? Because that's what we've seen translates to sports. So, you know, plyometric requires very little reps and a lot of sets and a lot of rest. And, you know, one of the things strength coaches aren't comfortable with, which I tell my young guys is you have to be comfortable with the uncomfortable sort of time where you just have an athlete sit there for two to three minutes, you know, because it's an uncomfortable, weird thing. And, you know, to sit there and say, okay, four jumps now sit there for three minutes. Well, this is boring. Well, I'm not here to entertain you. I'm here to get you better. This jumping around for fatigue is not a real thing. I mean, that's not a, that's not plyometrics. Plyometrics are to make you stronger and more explosive by using a stretch reflex. Now, mm -hmm. one could argue, well, Ben, there's no stretch reflex on the ice because there's no friction coefficient of the ice. There is none. That there is no stretch reflex, so why do plyometrics? And the whole point is, well, you're still applying force into the boot. You're still applying force into the ground off the ice, which will then translate in the ice. We've seen time and time and time again through research that the, the athlete that jumps the highest 
skates the fastest. And we've seen it over and over again. Even our heavier athletes still, if they're the fastest guys, they jump the highest. We see it over and over and over again. Now, that doesn't mean they're the best hockey player. But us as a strength coach is still telling us, okay, we're doing our job. If this guy jumps the highest in the gym, he jumps the highest broad jump, he has the the fastest 10, or he's among the top three in all of the above, we know now that this guy can skate fast. We're here with Ben Prentice, hockey strength and conditioning expert. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to our conversation with Ben Prentice, NHL strength training expert. He's been sharing his approach to training hockey players of all levels for the last 20 years. In this final segment, we'll talk about the importance of sprinting speed for hockey players, the role of stretching and mobility, as well as some must-do tips for any aspiring hockey players so they can get stronger and improve performance. Let's hear what he has to say. We did a study at the university here, actually, and sprinting speed was the number one determinant of who was a fast skater. And if you think about that, that is lowest amount of time on the ground. The fact like you know, their heel isn't hitting, they're moving their feet quickly and their ground reaction is low. And that's the expression of speed, right? Right. Well, and there you go. I mean, again, a lot of times we don't need sort of, we look at research, but we don't rely on it or because we're kind of ahead of it. And yeah. it's good to see when universities come around it. But we also have many, many, you know, people coming through to use. So, and if you remember, you know, back 20 years ago, we didn't run hockey players at all. Mm-hmm. Um, other than sort of in the first phase where they would do more like aerobic work. And as I've gone on in the years, I still don't have them run. Why? Because they're terrible, terrible runners. <laughs> and if you try to sort of, t- and, and, and w- number two, the reason we run tens is because tens, if we've seen mimics, we've slowed down on ice and on ice, you know, you have about eight propulsion strides until you sort of hit your top speed mm-hmm. and that mimics the running um, uh, off ice, which you just said, but you know, it sort of took us a while to get to that point. And they're not going to get hurt. You know, that could almost be a warm-up because it activates your central nervous system. So sprinting before you squat, if you're giving yourself enough time, could potentiate that squat because Hmm. you're really, it's a high CNS thing. But again, each sprint needs two to three minutes after a 10-yard sprint. You know, you're not doing it for conditioning. You're doing it to get faster. Well, that's, that's the connection between the brain and the muscle, right? That's what yeah. you're training right there, not the muscle at that point. Correct. Exactly. And that's why we're talking about your CNS. So, you know, and we've seen if you get anything higher than that, you're looking at hamstring pulls and you're looking at poor, I mean, terrible form. And, you know, to co- again, we, we talk about training economy. If you want to spend your entire offseason coaching your athlete trying to run, you're really doing him a disservice. So, you know, at 10 yards, getting him stronger and training sort of the things we talked about from the foot all the way up will make him faster in his 10. Um, and then typically the slowest guys are the slowest guys on the ice. So, Hmm. you know, we've made it a point that, you know, over the years, we are not going to do anything in the gym that's not going to affect them on the ice, which I think gets lost in training when young guys are looking to train people and they're looking at YouTubes or Instagrams and they're just kind of throwing things in, 
you know, we're at a level where we can't afford to do that. So if you came to our gym, you, you will know that every single thing I'm giving you is tried and true, and it's going to make you better on the ice, whether it be our mobility day where we're just doing mobility or, like I said, the 10-yard 10, the 10 sprint or 10-meter sprint or however you want to say. I, you just said something that actually I was going to mention as well. Mobility sounds like you're using that term almost interchangeably with stretching or flexibility, but it sounds like it's functional. Right. Well, and those are, remember, for your listeners, those are different. You know, mm-hmm. you know what's more important, being flexible or mobile? For hockey players, the majority of them, A, hate to stretch, and then B, are super tight to begin with. And then C, generally speaking, if you don't, layman's terms, stretch five times a week, generally you're not going to make a difference in that tissue and you're wasting your time. So, you know, a half an hour stretch or a 10-minute stretch at your end of the workout is not going to do anything for you in terms of changing that tissue. You'll have a temporary relief. You know, static stretching has a different change on tissue than dynamic stretching. So what we do is we call them fillers. And unfortunately for the athlete, I say, hey, you don't want to stretch and you don't want to come to our stretches? Then I'm going to take out an exercise and I'm going to emphasize this stretch because you are at risk with your lack of internal rotation that you will get hurt. So I'm going to force this, you know, again, lack of a better word, stretching on you to uh, and take away exercise. And you're going to continue to do this because you're not going to do it on your own. It's hard. It needs to be coached. We have a very specific myofascial stretching that we do. And we have different types of, uh, we've done all the FRC, which is the functional range conditioning, which is Dr. Spina out of Toronto that's created this system. So we use that. We use obviously El Dua, which when you were with us, we still use for Guy Voyer is a brilliant osteopath out of Quebec. So we've sort of taken all of that and integrated it with diaphragmatic breathing and again, posturology, but not get away from, get too excited with it where we're like, only do that. The problem is when you teach a modality, that's the only thing you want people to use. The science of it is picking specifically how much certain people need. You know, again, most women like to stretch a lot and some of them, guess what, don't need it at all. And it, it could be a harmful for them where they need to create some type of muscle mass and, and, and strength rather than the stretching. So it's important to, to and see that, especially with the girl hockey players that we have in terms of joint laxity and developing some muscle mass rather than stretching. So it's about knowing your athlete and incorporating not only flexibility, but mobility and using that sort of in the right, the right areas. Right. Well, so, you know, we're starting to wind down here, but what I was wondering, you know, obviously nutrition has been important. You stress that you stress the importance of sleep, especially for kids because sleep hygiene is so critically important. Talk about drinking water, some of those basic things, Uh, generalizations and training. Obviously that is not your approach, but if a kid wants to be safe and they want to start to look into getting better conditioning, where would they start? I would say the first thing is to sort of swallow your ego. Think of the weights with no numbers on them and train for full range of motion. That would be number one. So like for us, when we squat, they start with what's called a Frankenstein squat, where you're just your arms out in front of you and the bar is underneath your chin. 
and the strength will come with the load, but don't let the range of motion. And okay, well, I can't get there, I'm too tight. I'm pinching here, I've closed rein pain here. Okay, step back. Now let's go to full range split squats. Let's train barefoot where we're looking at our foot, doing a short foot, activating our foot, getting the knee over the toe, full range of motion, and then you increase some weight. But let's follow the tempo. And you can use the same weight week to week and still get stronger because the, ten the time under tension changes. So whether it be a five-second hold on your ISO day on a, on a peak muscle contraction or a five-second eccentric, you're changing different tissue, but you're, you're using the same weight. So you're still getting strong. So for young kids, stop worrying about the weight. You will get, you're not going to get strong by that way. You're, you're going to get strong if you have the patience. Now, it's hard because chances are in their gym, they're going to be the only one doing that. But in the long term, your, your hips, your shoulders, your groin will be far better if you can get full range of motion. Then when you get older, in your you know, early 20s, you'll be able to use load because you can then get into position. I can't tell you how many pros we have that I won't let squat because they can't get into that position, and it's, it's too late. It's too late. They're 27 years old, so we have to get split squats and step-ups and things like that uh, because they can't get into the position. So elevating your heels is a good way to start to sort of take out your tight calves and to get full range of motion. But get rid of the ego and, and go for full range of motion would be number one. Number two would be you know, really use that RPE and, and, and not go to failure all the time and leave some in the tank. And if you're young, you know, give yourself a day off after each training session. And then as you get older, you can sort of train back to back. But in the beginning, I think training every other day for, for younger athletes is much better. You'll get stronger, quicker, and you'll have more recovery. You know, I think those would be simple things that they can do that they probably don't want to do. You know, they want to chase the pump, so to speak. And, you know, you know, for younger kids that are interested in that, then, you know, give yourself 15 minutes at the end of a workout for quote unquote beach work. And, and then, you know, sort of eat your vegetables first and then have your dessert after. Awesome. I love that. That's great. And when you become, when you become a pro hockey player, they can come down and train with you. So then they're all set. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time today, Ben. I, right. I really appreciate Good to it. see you and uh, thank you for having me. Well, for all the hockey players, coaches, trainers, and parents listening, I hope you learned something you can apply to your training for the upcoming hockey season. I think that Ben's message resonates the importance of seeking the right advice in the role that patience, tracking, and an individualized approach plays for any athlete. Now, all of us aren't pro hockey players, but there's lots of us that are trying to improve our sport performance, and this glimpse into the science of how it's done should make us all a bit more curious about what we're doing. I'd like to thank Ben for taking the time to chat and for letting me be a part of what he built all those years ago. I think it's safe to say that we all need coaches. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you next week for another episode of the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM.